Welcome to the Shred Takes Podcast Show. I'm Mike Shredder. Glad you guys can join us on this great Sunday. Today on my podcast, I'm going to have the great luxury of having, as I call him, the, my MBA correspondent, Austin Lee, on today's podcast. So Austin Lee is a swimmer at Amherst College. He's a junior. And again, he's a Jersey guy. I've done plenty of episodes with him. If you guys follow this program, he's been on three or four episodes on the show already to talk about NBA content as well as his experience for Amherst Swim. But today we're going to talk about NBA-specific topics such as the All-Star Game, the new additions of starters, the snubs of the game, just kind of how he feels about the overall game and its entirety. Other things we're going to break down a little bit too is we talked about, we made predictions earlier, right? About Michael Porter Jr., for example, being the most improved player of the year. That was one of his predictions. So we're going to talk about how like the Nuggets are struggling in that area while Michael Porter Jr. has not been at that level. And let's talk about how like Utah right now is the best team in the NBA. Are they the best team in the NBA? The Boston Celtics still struggling, even though they're in playoff contention. They're still of a game below 500. So talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to break down the rookies, evaluate LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and Tyrese Halberton. Talk about those guys, talk about this rookie class, and kind of how we feel about that. So Austin will be on in just a second to break down those things with me in about a minute or two. So when we come back, he will be back on the show. Welcome back to the Shred Takes podcast show. Again, like I said earlier, I'm Mike Schreder, the host of the show, and I feel like this kid's always on the show because he loves talking about NBA basketball, but Austin Lee joins us again from Amherst, Massachusetts. He's up at Amherst college, living the quarantine life up there. And if people don't know him, he's a member of the Amherst swim team. And also just a big, like I said, big fan of NBA basketball, also a, a North Jersey guy from Fort Lee. So again, he's a, he's a, he's really, it's really fun to always talk about NBA basketball with him. Austin, thank you so much for coming back on buddy. Yeah, it's, it's always my pleasure. You know, I love I love doing these things with you, Mike, and uh, thank you for having me once again. Of course. So, All-Star Game coming up uh, a week from today, or I believe so, and um, a, a lot of interesting headlines, right? You have a lot of snubs have happened, but now the starters, right? Kevin Durant sitting out the All-Star Game because of the hamstring tightness he's been experiencing or hamstring strain, I guess, for a better term. Now you got Jason Tatum starting in the starting lineup instead of him. Talk a little bit about, so let's break down like the starters and kind of talk to me about how you think both teams fare in terms of the talent they have. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the starters, I mean, looking, going down the list, I don't really think there's any problem with it. Um, these are, you know, 10 guys. I think that deserve that nod. Obviously there was kind of that buzz the initial buzz when Luca got named the uh, starting guard position out of the West rather than uh, Dame Lillard. Um, but at the end of the day, I see it as kind of, you know, when we look it up at the end of the day, right, we see that Luca was an all-star and that Dame was an all-star. We don't really say like, oh, Luca was the all-star starter in 2021. Dame was the, uh, you know, all-star reserve. Like, you know, no one's going to see it like that and no one has that kind of perspective. And I mean, you can see in the fan vote as well. Um, Dame is still a very popular player uh, and same with Luca. And so they're kind of just interchangeable. And at the end of the day, like I said, no one sees it as a negative thing. They're both all-stars at the end of the day and they're both going to kill it in the game. 
So let's break down the replacements. We got Demontis Sabonis. Again, he's a guy I thought should have been an all-star originally. Again, he's averaging 21, 11, and 6 for Indiana. Now, I look, look, they're not necessarily right now in playoff contention because 4 through 12 in the East is separated by a game. So if you lose one game, you're, you're, you go from in the 4th seed to out of playoff contention if you lose a game or whatever. It's crazy how the East is working. And then you got Devin Booker, right? I think he should have been in there over Chris Paul. Now, I think Chris Paul is a pioneer for the game and one of the greatest point guards that we're playing. He's having a great season. Totally deserves to be an all-star. But I think Chris Paul should have been the replacement and Devin Booker should have been the overall all-star. Talk a little bit about those replacements and what do you think they're going to bring to the game specifically? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the Chris Paul-Devin Booker thing, um, I think Chris Paul came out and said that he thinks that Devin is more you know, deserving of the all-star nod. And I kind of agree with that too. But at the end of the day, I mean, when we look at kind of like the legacy that Chris Paul has left behind, I don't think we could discount that. And I mean, I think people knew that AD would just be listed um, as injured and they kind of just kind of, you know, gave him that all-star recognition that he deserves because, you know, Anthony Davis is one of the best players in our league. And I think the whole plan was to kind of have him, you know, put on the injury list and putting D book in over him. Um, along with, you know, along the lines of the KD thing, I did not know that he would get taken out. Um, but I think that DeMontis Sabonis getting put in and, you know, Tatum replacing him as a starter, uh, makes sense. Uh, I don't really know who on the Eastern reserves would really take that starter spot over like a Tatum, you know, besides like a Jalen Brown, but I think Brown is considered a guard rather than a forward. So, um, it wouldn't really make sense in terms of like the KD position wise. Um, and DeMontis Sabonis, like you said, you know 21 and 11 I think um second all-star nod I think he's a phenomenal player Indiana is a sleeper team I think they're very kind of just like a dark horse in a sense kind of just like riding under the waves um they don't really make too many headlines but I think Malcolm Brogdon is a really good player and I think him complimentary to complimenting DeMontis Sabonis' skill set is really good and um in terms of like all-star snubs I would just, I just want to highlight, you know, my like one West and one East all-star snub real quick. Um, in terms of the Eastern conference, you know, I don't think anyone can deny the fact that the two Miami guys, um, Bam and Jimmy Butler, you know, if we're going to talk about one, I would just say Bam probably, you know, I think he's kind of elevated his game to another level in terms of his mid range. Um, and in terms of the West, I would say, Honestly, DeMar DeRozan, I think DeMar DeRozan, is, I, I respect him as a player a lot. I, I really liked him. and I followed him back when he was in Toronto with Kyle Lowry. And, um, you know, I was very disheartened when, when he got traded to San Antonio. But I think he's kind of, you know, matured in a sense, um, being coached under, you know, Coach Popovich, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Absolutely. Um, and kind of, you know, I mean, the team's winning. I don't think anyone can discount the fact that I think that they're around 500. I'm not too sure, but I think they're around that range and, and the team, you know, with, even without, I guess, any all-stars now that, you know, all the reserves and starters came out are doing really well. And I, John T. Murray sent out a tweet. I'm pretty sure just saying like, how, how are we, you know, recognize a team that's doing this well, but we don't have DeMar as an all-star. And I agree with him in that sense. Um, I think, I don't know how the advanced, you know, the advanced metrics are always bringing DeMar DeRozan's numbers down a little bit, you know, cause he's not a 
street, not a shot down, knockdown sharpshooter from the, uh, from the perimeter or anything like that. But I mean, his mid range game and what he's done in this game, I don't think could be discounted. Yeah. Fair points for sure. Now look, there's a short turnaround compared to previous all-star periods, right? You have to be back two days before your all your next game. And they're trying to start up the games March 10th, right? So that's a very short turnaround. And again, most teams got to be back there March 8th, which is the day after the all-star game to get COVID tested. How do you think that's going to affect the way teams come out after the all-star break in your opinion? Yeah, it's really odd. I mean, I know the way the players see it. Um, All-star break is kind of like this vacation for them, right? Um, it's kind of this game to kind of celebrate the fans and the players, you know, bring this whole big community together and and celebrate, you know, the greats, the greats in our game, in the uh, game basketball. Um, but I think the short turnaround, you know, with the COVID testing and, and all the pandemic precautions definitely affect a player in terms of physically, you know, having to travel. Um, I know you could test as a basketball player, but even as a swimmer, you know, going to meets and stuff like that, traveling definitely does take a toll on your body. Um, just sitting in a bus for, or playing for a couple hours um, definitely affects you. And even like mentally with the short turnaround um, players, you know, they get this week long too. I don't know how long the all-star break initially is, but I know it's way shorter this year because it's a short season. Um, and even, you know, correlating back at the, the finals and the playoffs and how late they went and kind of short turnaround back into the season with that. I think everything's kind of being rushed in a sense. Um, and I think the overall bigger problem is just the fact that it's in Atlanta. You know, I think the that Atlanta is generally pretty open about coronavirus in the sense that, you know, nothing's really closed down. Um, people aren't really enforcing the mask wearing as strongly as maybe some other states are. And so just kind of like the caution that players need to have, you know, when, when roaming around the city and, and the state itself, just with the pandemic going on. Yeah, I, I did some research on that and that's just kind of how the players feel. And the one thing I'll, I'll just say, it's funny is that I don't think this is going to be actually as big of a deal because everyone loves the idea of load management. So for certain teams, when they come back, they, if they're playing, it's a weaker opponent. Like you saw last night with the Dallas and Brooklyn game, those load manage players. But for a guy like LeBron James, who doesn't believe in load management, it's going to take a physical toll. So I, I, I see definitely where you're going with that point. Um, now, we, you and I made predictions on the last show we were on together, and I don't think any of our predictions have really came to any sort of fruition. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is not the, the uh, most improved player of the year at this point. I would say that's Jalen Brown for sure. And you also got Luca trying to win the MVP. And look, Luca's playing at a, at a really good level, but his team's not winning enough games. Right now, I'd probably say the, the MVP is in a three kind of level race. I would say that you put yeah, maybe two with MB, LeBron. I'd probably put Steph there somewhere just in, 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 with Dark Horses and Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard and Jokic, those guys, right? But I want to ask you where, do you, where do you see the problem with Michael Porter Jr.? Why do, you, why do you think he hasn't taken off as being a star yet this year? I think it's personally just because of his inconsistency in terms of shot selection, health, and yeah, I think it's just his shooting has not been very consistent. That's kind of where I see it. And he's just not being... Yeah, he's getting enough shots, but I think he's just not being as consistent at, at figuring out where he needs to 
fit his role yet as a player in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really, you know, honestly been keeping up with Denver as much as I would like to be, to be honest. Um, the problem with, for me with Denver was not necessarily Michael Porter Jr., but more just Jamal Murray and how, um, I don't know what your perspective on him was, but I kind of thought he would be able to ascend into this new level of, of you know, maybe not an all-star just because, you know, the West is such is loaded with such talent at the guard position, but at least, you know, maybe we'd be talking about him in snubs, right? Like in terms of like all-star snub talk, um, I thought, you know, maybe he would ascend to at least, I don't know what his, you know, averages are for this season, but, you know, 20, 22 points per game is kind of what I was figuring, you know, at least kind of pairing with Jokic being that, you know, dominant, dominant uh, playmaking big. Um, I just thought that Jamal Murray would be able to kind of send into that, that next level. And we haven't really seen that. I mean, oh, I mean, we have seen that. We've seen flashes of it, obviously. Um, but, you know, it's very inconsistent. There's not a, there's not a, there's not a huge sample size that we could, you know, kind of validate, oh, you know, he's a guy that could get you that bucket every single night. It's, it's not like that. It's just like, oh, he's that guy that can get me a bucket every once a week or, or something along those lines. Um, and in terms of Michael Porter Jr., uh, I agree with you. He hasn't been as consistent as I, I, I think you and I thought he would be. And he's definitely not the most improved player like we predicted originally. Um, I could agree that it's definitely either Jalen Brown or maybe a Jeremy Grant. Um, those two have definitely, you know, kind of took it up to that next level, in my opinion. Um, but for in terms of Michael Porter Jr., I think that Denver, I mean, they got a they got an MVP candidate in Nikola Jokic, in my opinion. And being an MVP candidate, I could see the amount of impact he has towards them um, winning. Um, because when Jokic does well, if he's the best player on the court, um, Denver will most likely come out winning that game, in my opinion. And as long as Jokic is able to, is able to be consistent and we're able to kind of see Jamal Murray emerge out of this whatever he's in, you know, shell, funk, whatever, um, and come back in the playoffs when it really matters, I think, I mean, that's, that's all that matters to me. You know, I think if Jamal Murray is able to bring it back to that level, Michael Porter Jr. could have flashes and Jokic just needs to be the consistent, you know, dominant big guy he is. And I don't think Denver will have any problem making it at least past the first round in the playoffs. Yeah, as of right now, they're the eighth seed, I believe, in the West. Right now, so six is San Antonio, seven, Golden State, eight them. I think Denver will do better than that. It's funny, actually, Jamal Murray's averaging a tick under 22 points a game this year. Because the fact that the last three or four games he's put up 35, 27. Yeah, I like I agree with you. He's he's just, he's been having glimpses of good good play, but it's just beginning. I would say for two thirds so far of the year, he was not where he needed to be, and I think right now he's starting to play at that level again. Uh, and the, their big problem too is just there are others like Porter Jr., Barton. Paul Millsap has been injured. Gary Harris has been injured. Right? They they're they're not the same team they were last year at the at this point. Jokic is obviously better, but um, let, let's shift into another topic. Um, so I'm a big fan now of the Utah Jazz. I I, I actually have, and, and that's because I, I, the reason why I, be, I become fans of teams, certainly by defense, movement of the ball, and teams that are kind of unexpected. So, you know, I was a fan of certain, like, like, the, like, the, like the Knicks this year, I'm a big fan of them because I am a Knicks fan, right? But they're kind of an unexpected team. 
But Utah, in my opinion, is the best team right now in the NBA. Now, I think Brooklyn is, is the most talented. Lakers are up there when they're healthy. And Philly, Clippers are really good teams as well. But I think Utah has proven the most and has been the most complete overall. Your thoughts on Utah and kind of also you can just say it right now, who do you think the best team in the NBA is at this point? I mean, it's like you said, they're, they're kind of all around just perfect. Jordan Clarkson has been kind of transitioning from this guy that's just streaky, streaky shooter into like a very consistent knockdown. Um, he has kind of this swagger about him that, you know, just kind of ignites the, uh, the morale of the bench, I would say, and kind of leading that second unit into uh, on the court. And overall, I mean, I forgot to highlight this before, but Mike Conley, um, all-star snub. I think, I think he, of course, I want to also highlight premise the fact that I think the conversation is not who gets snubbed from the all-star game, but rather who would you take out from the all-star team to replace them? Just because you only get those 12 spots from each conference, 24 in total, there's so many players that are deserving of that, you know, that all-star nod. It's just a matter of who are you going to replace in order to, you know, put that other player that you want in. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it is what it is. But um, going back on what we were talking about before, you know, Mike Conley, he has been able to kind of gain that chemistry with um, Rudy Gobert that last year, I don't think they really had. The pick and roll with them is just, it's, it's unstoppable. I mean, I, I think Rudy Gobert, like we talked about on our last talk, I'm pretty sure we talked about his contract extension um, and what that meant for Utah in general. And uh, I mean, I know there are a lot of doubters and a lot of haters, but I know you and I both had the perspective of like, I mean, he deserves that kind of money. Um, I think he's the third greatest center, or not the third best center in the league right now behind, you know, um, Jokic and Abid and obviously, you know, a guy like Cat is out right now, but I think Rudy Gobert has kind of cemented himself as that defensive presence. And obviously the numbers don't always tell what he's been able to do on the offensive end, but even on the offensive end, his, his rim running is is really good, I think. Um, and, and him and Mike Conley are a very, very good duo. And I mean, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Donovan Mitchell is really good. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Donovan Mitchell. Um, uh, I just wanted to say real quick that, you know, this whole, sports card market boom that we've seen recently I don't know if you know much about that but I've actually invested into Donovan Mitchell a little bit just because I think he really is just a really like an insane talent um that class in general him Tatum even a Bam and De'Aaron Fox as well all those guys have kind of just ascended into this this next level of oh they've only been in the league for three or four years and these guys are all just like all-star level talents like they're they're real they're real ballers now. And Donovan Mitchell, I don't think anyone can deny the fact that even when the playoffs come, he, he proves himself every time. Uh, I mean, he, I mean, I don't know. It's their fourth season, I think. Right. And so in the three playoffs, playoff runs, he's been in prior to this fourth season, the sample size is large enough that I could say that Donovan Mitchell, when it comes to playoffs, he's a clutch player. You know, he, he, he shows up, he'll give you that 30 that you need, that team needs. And, I think Utah right now is the best team in the league. Um, and, you know, if the Lakers don't get a healthy Anthony Davis back, they are definitely going to struggle, I think, against the uh, Utah Jazz. Yeah, before I get into something else I want to talk about, the Lakers just, and you can tell, I mean, I just want to give you a little bit, is that the, the Lakers, the issue with them, right, is 
they only really have two legit playmakers, right? They have Schroeder and LeBron and they need, I'm, I'm actually going to, I'm thinking about kind of maybe potential moves they can make because Marcus Saul has been a, for lack of a nicer word, he's been a disaster for them in terms of the trade. He's just, he's at, he's not in the, in the top shape he needs to be at, at his older age. And defensively, he's not really as helpful as he was once in his career. And he's kind of just like a passer and a three-point shooter on the offensive end. And he's not really good as a three-point shooter. So I agree with you, right? Utah is right now a very crisp offensive team. Even the Clippers, right? The Clippers, I, I think, I, I'm not as much of a believer in the Clippers as I am the Utah Jazz this year, even though I think the Clippers may have more talent. Utah has seven guys who can give you between 11 and 20 points. And that's why I think they're, they're so good right now. Let's talk about the Boston Celtics because they've been in the headlines recently. Now I'm a Knicks fan. So I, I like Boston because I like Brad Stevens. I like their players, but as a Knicks fan, it's kind of, we, we're never really rooting for a Boston team, but I do root for the success of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because, and Brad Stevens, because I think they are likable stars and like and a likable coach. Their problem to me is not necessarily that Brad Stevens doesn't know how to motivate guys and whatever. It's the problem of Kemba Walker not playing to his potential. I think the fact of Jason Tatum not being a great playmaker for others and the problem that they have no depth at the center position that can stop any sort of big guy from imposing their will. And yeah, their offense just, just looks out of sync a lot of the times because they don't really have a third guy they can just give the ball to and say, hey, go go get a bucket if Tatum and Brown are off. Yeah, I'm, I mean – it just boggles my mind that that at one point the trade talk was Gordon Hayward for Miles Turner, and you know that didn't go through. I don't know what Danny Ainge was thinking at that time. Looking back on, I mean, looking back on it now, Gordon Hayward is fringe All Star on Charlotte. Miles Turner is averaging three blocks per game and is in DPOY talks for for Indiana, and and the fact that they gave up Gordon Hayward for nothing. Uh, when he was still averaging 19 points for them last year and they didn't get, you know, miles, at least a miles Turner in return. He's a, you know, offensive game kind of inconsistent and wobbly, but you know, on the defensive end, he's, he's always going to be in like a, a top block block sh- uh, shot blocker in the, in the league. Um, and the fact that that didn't go through and, you know, they ended up with Tristan Thompson, um, Jeff Teague. I think they're running like, uh, is it Robert, not Robert Grant? Robert Williams, Grant Williams at the center, uh, the six foot nine guy. There's there's two Williams. There's Robert Williams, right. who's the athletic guy, and then Grant Williams mm-hmm. is more of like the three four who like can play a small ball five for them. I'm thinking about Robert Williams then. You know, um, I mean he's I think he's six nine, and so that's you know obviously we're transitioning into this kind of positionless, you know, small ball esque era, but at the same time like six nine against Joel Embiid right? It's, it's not going to cut it. And like you said, um, I don't think it's Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens is a phenomenal coach. I don't think we should ever knock Brad Stevens for what he's done for Boston, but Kemba Walker, I don't know what his problem is. Um, I know that the last game they played, which was I think two nights ago, maybe last night, I'm not sure he had like 32 points. So, you know, he, he was able to, you know, kind of will them to a win, but looking at the numbers, like, the fact that he had 32 points, but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the other two guys, you know, Tatum only had 17, I think, and Brown only had like around 13. 
like in, and, and so when you when we have Kemba you know doing the work the production of your all-stars are definitely diminishing and I think they need to kind of find that balance and Kemba I, I, I don't think Kemba's like that player you know who has that ego of like oh I'm, I'm the starting point guard I'm the leader of this team but I think he needs to kind of take that mentality of oh maybe I'm not an all-star anymore you, you know more of like a third guy I need to be the playmaker for these two young guys are kind of emerging into these these superstars rather than being the kind of the try trying to be the the old Charlotte Kemba Walker that he used to be, you know, where it's ISO. He's the only one that has the ball because no one else on the team can really do anything on those teams back then. Um, but now that he has this like cast of, you know, these two really, really good young stars, I think he he should be able to utilize them better and kind of go into more of that playmaking role like a just like top of my head, like a Rondo, you know, um, maybe have more of that offensive scoring presence than maybe Rajon Rondo has, but, you know, still being able to kind of distribute it and, and get them going, get them going on that sense before. Before we jump into the rookie analysis that I know you and I are excited about doing, let's talk about, so there's been a lot of knock on Ben Simmons, right? Some people think he wasn't worthy enough to get into the all-star game because he's not incredibly like, wow, in terms of his stats, right? For lack of a phrase, he just he doesn't impress in, with, with his offensive stats. Now, his stats are good, but I think what people don't understand, I think he's the defensive player of the year. And I think it's, it's, and I don't even think it's close. Now, I think Rudy Gobert is phenomenal, but I think Ben Simmons, you could put him against Brooklyn, for example, and he could, and he could at least make things really tough. I think he could shut down one of those stars, but I think like if he had to guard Durant, I think he would make things very difficult for Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, so he would score points, but it wouldn't be very easy. And I think in my mind, I think Philly actually has a real legitimate shot to win the Eastern Conference because the Brooklyn is not an answer for Embiid. Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, well, Tobias Harris can get 20 all the time he wants, and Ben Simmons can post up those smaller guards and be effective. And also, again, he can defend at a high level. Talk to me about your thoughts on Philly. Again, I think Brooklyn should be favored to be come out of the East, but I'm saying don't overlook Philly because I think they legitimately have a great shot to get to the NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of been sleeping on Philly. Um, you know, that kind of explanation you just had of Ben Simmons, that's kind of the boat I've been on, honestly. Um, I have never really been a huge, huge Ben Simmons guy. I definitely respect you know, the defensive impact he has for that team. He's, he's, you know, the fact that he could guard Dane Willard and Joe, you know, if he were to be on another team, Joel Embiid, you know, he can guard anywhere, any guy from 6'1 to 7'2. Um, and, and the fact that he has that versatility on the defensive end, I think definitely um, increases his stock, you know. But for me, just Joel Embiid, uh, not Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons on the offensive end, um, he's just very inconsistent. In my opinion, I think in terms of like scoring nights, you know, he could have one big, big night. And, and, and on those nights when he's like hot, he's unstoppable. Uh, I mean, six foot 10 point guard, uh, there's nothing you could do about that. But when he's cold, like he's, in my opinion, very cold. And I think, I don't know why I'm really rambling on about that, but I, I think at the end of the day, his defense is what's going to win them the games. He's just because Joel Embiid is so good offensively that he kind of makes up for, the lack of offense that Ben Simmons really produces, in my opinion. And also Tobias Harris, too. You know, we, we could sit here and talk about how Tobias Harris is also an all-star snub as well. 
um, and, you know, what he's been able to kind of unlock being back under his former coach uh, in Doc Rivers, I think that Philly is definitely a sleeper team and that, in my opinion, it might just be Philly versus Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference Finals um, just because, you know, Brooklyn, even without Kevin Durant, just Kyrie and Harden. Harden has been, in my opinion, honestly, the greatest point guard, the best point guard in the league right now. Um, the numbers he's put it up are just phenomenal. I think there was a stat that said he had like second most triple doubles in Nets history already. And he's played for a month <laughs> or something like that. Um, and I, I don't think we can discredit that. And so I, I would just have to see. It's all hypothetical. The East is a lot more loaded than it's been in the past couple of years. And I think it's going to be a great, great uh, postseason that that people should be looking forward to, especially, you know, with the uh, addition of four more teams, two on each in each, each conference. Yeah, no, those are great points. And I, I, the one thing I'll say is that like the West is still better than the East for sure, but the East definitely is more competitive in terms of who's going to get what seat. Now the top three teams are locked there, but the rest of the teams are pretty much up in the air. Now let, let's go to the rookies. Lamella Ball, I think right now he's been everything that people kind of expected um, I think he's done an incredible job putting him in the starting lineup has really paid off dividends for Charlotte because he's a, he's a really good facilitator. And I think also offensively he's, he's an inconsistent three point shooter, but I think he has the potential to be a decent three point shooter. And again, he's really good with his ball handling skills. He's a great IQ. I think for Charlotte, it's one reason why they're very good offensively is because he creates open pockets for Gordon Hayward to be effective. Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges gets a lot of his good points from LaMelo. And I think it's, again, he's been really effective. Your thoughts on LaMelo Ball and kind of what he's brought to the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm huge. I'm a huge fan of LaMelo Ball. Um, I think he's honestly exceeding past expectations. Um, for me, you know, my kind of sample size with him was just watching his like, you know, middle school, high school mixtapes of, when he was shooting, you know, 50 foot three point shots. Um, and so, so, you know, obviously my, my kind of perspective on him was not the highest. I, I thought, Oh yeah. Just like, you, you know, he'd be an inconsistent shooter. You know, he wouldn't, he, he would just be this guy that's just for show, you know, just entertainment kind of thing. And that he wouldn't really impact Charlotte anyway, because, you know, um, I just think Charlotte's a joke of a franchise. That's, or that, that's what I thought, you know, before the season, obviously. Um, but it really seems like the mellow ball has been able to kind of turn their whole team around, honestly. And that Gordon Hayward signing, honestly, was, you know, initially I thought it was not the best, but uh, it looks like it's working out. I mean, Gordon Hayward is doing well. And Terry Rozier, I mean, I know they paid him a bunch of money, but even him, like, he's averaging, I think, 20-ish points. And, and so that team's got something going for them. And like you said, Miles Bridges, like the synergy that LaMelo has with Miles Bridges, those, you know, those pick and roll and those alley-oop dongs, they're just like, they're just fun entertainment. And I really, really enjoy watching Charlotte. And I think um, they're, yeah, they're 10th. Like they're in the play, uh, the play-in contention right now. And I, I don't know what they really want to do moving forward, just because I know next year's draft class is supposed to be this, you know, really, really kind of talented draft class that we haven't really seen in a long time, honestly, um, from what I'm hearing. And, and so just based off what people are speculating, 
with that draft class. I don't really know what Michael Jordan and, and the Charlotte franchise's move is, whether or not they want to kind of, you know, tank a little bit, try and get a higher, you know, higher player, like, or, or whether or not they want to kind of just go all in and kind of push for that um, playoff berth that, that, sh- that Charlotte really needs. Um, and I just want to say lastly that, you know, I think LaMelo Ball, um, I think, I mean, he's, he's, he's my rookie of the year. I don't know what you think about that, but I don't think anyone can deny the fact that, I mean, he, he's averaging 15 points. He, he's doing well. He's shooting 35% from three, which I think is honestly taking people, you know, by surprise in terms of like the de- the decent amount of efficiency that he has uh, shooting the ball and, and he's only getting better too. And so I, I just think I, I'm just overall a huge fan of mobile. I, lo- I love his game. Anthony Edwards, right? Number one pick in the draft. There are people who are questioning if he really is that. I think he's got a lot of talent. I think his efficiency is not very good. And I think he's also with a team that is not built for winning yet. And I'm not going to make excuses for him. His efficiency has got to be better. But I think he's shown that he has a lot of talent. Like Wiseman, right? Wiseman has, has been inconsistent. He hasn't been in the lineup. His defense hasn't been great. But he's shown glimpses of high effectiveness when he has been able to play a lot of minutes, right? I don't think he's what LaMelo and Tyrese Halberton are, even maybe a guy like Patrick Williams. I think Patrick Williams defensively has brought a great impact to Chicago, but I think Anthony Edwards is not a guy that people should be just giving up yet um, or just giving up on. I mean, I know maybe that people are looking at like guys like quickly and Ball and Halberton saying those guys are the three best, which they are, but I want to ask you what your thoughts are on Anthony Edwards and where do you see his future going and whether or not he was worth the number one pick so far. Yeah. I mean, I just want to talk about Anthony Edwards just because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think people are kind of giving up on him too early. Um, of course, you know, the efficiency does, it, it is kind of glaring. He does, I think need to be one or the other, right? You, you got to either be, the guy that's going to give me 27 or you got to be the guy that's just going to give us five off the bench every night, you know? And, and right now I think he's starting to figure out that kind of middle ground where he's able to kind of get consistent double digits every night. Um, I don't really know how his minutes are playing out, but I mean, I'm looking and, and he started half of the season, 17 out of 34 games. He started this season. And so I think, because I know in the beginning of the season, he was on the bench all coming off the bench. And so, I think maybe if they're been recently integrating back into the starting lineup, that that might help him. Of course, um, I don't know what Carl Anthony Towns' whole deal has been recently. Um, I haven't really been keeping up on whether or not he's been in the game or if he's still you know out for COVID right now. But um, I, I agree with you. I don't think that team is really built for winning around Anthony Edwards. Um, the way I see it is like, for example, James Wiseman, right? He's going to a team that has a Steph Curry and a Draymond Green. These guys like kind of mentor and, and shape James Wiseman into being a player like them. You know, I mean, these guys are going to be like ball favorites in the future, right? And, and so kind of shaping James Wiseman to being kind of this like, you know, good defensive big man. Um, and I feel like Anthony Edwards doesn't really have that because um, that team is still pretty young, right? You got, you got guys like Jared Culver, you know, who I think is like our age. Um, uh, yeah, like D'Lo, right. Who, who is kind of ir- irresponsible, uh, most parts. Right. Um, and, and he's still pretty young as well. And, and same with Kat too, like all those guys, you know, 26 and under around there, I, I feel like, and no one really to guide Anthony Edwards besides like Ricky Rubio, but 
at the end of the day, what, what much is, what, what is Ricky Rubio going to do for Anthony Edwards, right? And um, just kind of having that, that guide, that mentor, I think looking back on it now, Anthony Edwards would not be, I, I, I honestly saying Anthony Edwards would not be number one pick. I don't think he would be for, you know, kind of basing off how they're doing right now on their actual NBA team. But I still think, you know, there's no question he's a lottery pick, right? And you saw that poster, I'm sure, the other day or the other week um, that he had. Uh, that, that, was, that was just an insane feat of athleticism. Um, and I think that, you know, we shouldn't be sleeping on him. I think that he still has a bright future. And if he's able to kind of tap into that offensive consistency, he could be a real dangerous scorer and slasher kind of slashing kind of player later on in his career. Yeah, the, the Timberwolves, their problem is just they haven't really figured out how to be a mature team yet. And I agree. Towns has played recently and actually has played very well in his time being back. He's averaging 24 a game. But that's kind of who Towns is. Towns is going to put up numbers, but it's just a maturity issue thing uh, with that team. Now, Tyrese Halberton, I think my rookie of the year will and it will most likely go to LaMelo Ball. And I probably would agree with that. Um, I think Tyrese Halberton should have really – strong consideration for it as well as Emmanuel quickly. But I think LaBelle has been the, the, the best rookie so far, but I think what Tyrese Halberton brings to the, the table is a guy who's really unselfish, like LaMelo ball, but also can get his own at a very high level. And for the Kings, I think that was a steal for the draft. And I think that they really have benefited from him, even though their team hasn't done too well this year. Your thoughts on Tyrese Halberton? Yeah, I'm I'm a huge Tyrese Halliburton fan. You know, just along with Lamelo, um, in terms of rookie of the year race, they're one A one B for me. Um, the way they impact their team, I mean, we knew about. I mean, I don't know how much you knew about Tyrese Halliburton. I'm sure you knew a lot about him. You know, going into the pre draft and stuff like that. But from what I've heard, like a lot of a lot of analysts were just saying that this man was the most ready NBA ready. Um, out of you know out of any of the other potential prospects. And that, you know, whatever team he goes into, he will fit and he'll be like that kind of glue guy that any team could use, right? And I remember talking to my brother while the draft was going on because I was watching at least the lottery uh, portion of it um, that he really wanted Tyrese Halliburton. He's a Knicks fan, uh, just like you. And he really wanted Tyrese Halliburton at the eighth pick. And I know that during watching that draft, all the draft analysts were saying the Knicks should take Tyrese Halliburton over Obi over over Obi Toppin, um, and I stand by that fact as well. Um, I'm not a Knicks fan, but you know, I mean, I'm not you know discrediting the Knicks. They're fourth, fifth in the Eastern Conference. They're doing really well under All Star Julius Randle, RJ Barrett's emerging. Emmanuel Quickly's a, a steal, in my opinion. Um, Obi, uh, you know, uh, I've seen I've seen better. Um, you know. I definitely do think that Tyrese Halliburton in Obi Toppin's position, right? Just because the Knicks were so heavy on forwards at the, at that time, you know, before you guys acquired D Rose and everything like that, you know, maybe you would have to go out and get D Rose if you guys took Tyrese Halliburton, you know, and looking at it from that kind of perspective and how just kind of, you know, even putting him into the Knicks hypothetical situation wise, he would be a perfect glue guy for the Knicks too. You know, they need a guy that can just give you 10 points a night. He's super efficient. He's really good at handling the ball, uh, making, uh, kind of distributing and, and creating shots for other people. Um, and I think, yeah, just steal the draft. Um, and I've, I've, I've watched a bunch of interviews of him because I'm just a huge fan of his. Uh, I really just like him as a person in general. 
Yeah, and I don't think you're the only one who shares that opinion of him going to the Knicks over Obi Toppin. Uh, I'm a Knicks fan, and I probably would agree with you on that, right? But I, I'm not a guy also who gives up on players after one year because I think what, what Obi Toppin has now understood is that he's very athletic but he and he moves well. But I think that he needs to get the skill set to match that. But luckily, the you know with Thibodeau, he's developed Julius Randle into being an all-star, right? He's gotten that mentality change, right? So I think that what Thibodeau has brought is a really good sense of security. And, and I think with Halberton, though, he's brought a good sense of security to the Kings, even though the Kings haven't been very good. And the one thing I just wanted to ask you about now is just, Take me a little bit about kind of what you've been trying to do for Amherst Swim up on campus, what generally you can do, because I know things are restrictive because they're trying to be safe as they should. Yeah, I mean, kind of just like wrapping up here. I mean, we moved in around two weeks ago. Um, I'm living with my grade slash class swimmers. So, you know, got Gary next to me, got Pete and Malcolm, Jack and Scott on the other end of our kind of like corner. Uh, we're living at Morris Pratt this year, second floor Morris Pratt. And, um, you know, it's been exactly two weeks since I moved in on the 14th. And the first week was kind of just quarantining. We weren't really allowed in our rooms, kind of just adjusting, getting settled in. All the classes were online, you know, nothing in contact or anything, uh, with the in-person contact and stuff like that. And actually this past Monday, so yeah, just about a week ago, um, we actually just restarted practice. And so that's been going pretty well. Um, I honestly haven't swam since around August, so it's been pretty good getting back in the pool and, um, you know, kind of getting motivated to get exercise and getting out of bed because I'm lazy as hell. Um, and, you know, it's been kind of motivation to kind of exercise. Um, and, and, you know, that started this past Monday. We only have practices for the weekdays, Monday to Friday, and it's only one once a day rather than some days having doubles. And the pro- protocol-wise, it's been going pretty well. You know, we have to wear masks all the time. We have to wear our suit to the pool rather than uh, getting changed at the pool. We're not allowed in the locker rooms or anything like that because that's a closed compartmentalized space. Um, And yeah, it's only around around like seven to 12 people per practice, 12 people max. Um, We'll have two people per lane on opposite ends. So it's technically one person on each end of the pool uh, out of the six lanes. And yeah, it's been going pretty well, been transitioning really well. And I think Coach Nick, uh, Coach Nichols has, has done a really good job trying to integrate kind of people that are in shape and also people that are out of shape right now. Awesome. Well, Austin, great chatting with you, buddy. And best of luck up at Amherst. And uh, probably have you back on the podcast sometime soon. So take it easy, pal. Yeah, thanks, Mike.